Okay, Chris, we're about to do something way fun. Are you excited? Oh, I'm so excited. You're not. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, okay. Let's open up the hood. Oh, we're going to really look under the hood. So for those new listeners and those loyal listeners of the One Thing podcast, obviously, I'm Sarah Hendricks and I'm with Chris Dixon. Say hello to everybody. Hello. I'm not, I promise I won't I tell you, you what to do the whole time in this I thought podcast. you were going to say I'm Sarah Hendricks, and I was going to say I'm... Oh, I guess I matter. should have let you say your own name. Sorry. Let's get this started with just give everybody that's listening your name, your title here with Productive and The One Thing, and you know a little bit about how you got started with The One Thing. So my name is Chris Dixon, and I am the director of training for Productive, the company behind The One Thing. And I got started with The One Thing in somewhat of a serendipitous way. It's really interesting. Mm. Before COVID, I had been introduced to The One Thing and just completely fell in love with the the principles and the concepts behind the book. And it had a huge impact on my life and I just had to be a part of the organization. It was just something that I was like, do they, do they have a company behind this and how can I be a part of it? Mm-hmm. And I found online, there was a position posted for the job or for, for the organization and I immediately applied. It was in line with what I'd been doing at the time, uh, more or less. And it seemed like a really great fit. It was like, wow, this is awesome. And then I started, I started down the path and uh, the former president reached back out to me, was interested, and then within a week, the world shut down, and and COVID happened. and And he came back and said, "Look, like let's circle back in the future. There's too many unknowns. We're not in a place to really hire now, as as most of the world was." Uh, so I took another position, and not 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 a job I love, but at the time it was like, hey man, this isn't something you can be super selective about. Let's keep income coming through and just stay in the black. And and uh, that's what it was. And it didn't take long before I realized I was just in the wrong place and mm. I was doing the wrong thing. Uh, fast forward, you know, nearly two years later, uh, and I got a a phone call from a former colleague and and mentor asking if I was interested in a unique opportunity. And he had no idea that I had applied previously to the one thing. And he is he is now the senior vice president of operations and was interested in offering me a position to come and work with the one thing. And it was just like, no way this came full circle right when I was ready for the opportunity again, uh, it came back up. And so I said yes. And I was able to start to combine the passion I'd identified in my career for people development and coaching with my experience around uh, leadership and operations and working in corporate America and, and helping scale businesses and, and combine those two things and a really cool opportunity. And now I get to you know, pursue my passion every day. That sounds like kismet. What's that? You've never heard of the word kismet? No. Kismet's like fate. Mm. It's it's like it was meant to be. It, it feels like it was meant to be. And it's, it's so cool because, you know, I had... I had a really fun opportunity for about 11 years and I, I I didn't know what the one thing was, but I had found my one thing for a long time. And I, I used to be a professional skydiver and out of college and I, I did 3,000 skydives all over the world, won some world championships, was really fortunate to do something fun. But along the way, 
a new concept was born to bring the experience of skydiving indoors. And it was called Indoor Skydiving. And a, and a brand new company was starting called iFly. And I was lucky enough to be in the right place, right time to join that organization and to work with them and build this business and and grow this industry for about 11 years. And, and I was super passionate about that. And, you know, it, it ran its course and I accomplished everything I wanted to and went off to to try new things and really lost my like passion and focus uh, and just was, was tracking after new opportunities and jobs and not really being clear on what I wanted to do. Yeah. And that and, and ultimately ran into the book. The one thing is kind of a crazy story because I crashed my road bike training for a triathlon and was in the hospital waiting to have surgery for like getting my collarbone repaired. It was it was kind of a nasty what? break. And that's when I was introduced to the book and I was like totally reflecting like, man, like what am I doing with my life? Like, where do I want to go? I don't feel fulfilled, like huge gap there. And, uh, you know, that's where where the book kind of came in and the concepts was like, man, this is it. Like, I totally get it. Like I had a one thing and I know what the value of being that driven towards that singular thing is. Uh, And so it was, like I said before, it was so serendipitous to come full circle. That's so crazy and so awesome. I think mine is like my story is a little less lackluster or my my story is lackluster than that in in coming to the one thing. So obviously I'm Sarah Hendricks. I'm the director of marketing for Productive and the One Thing and you know I happened on the organization through a job posting. <laughs> not as fun, um not as serendipitous, but definitely started reading it once I started to really figure out what the company was all about and what it stood for and the idea of helping people learn and grow and really achieve extraordinary results was such an exciting thought to me. Um I had always wanted to as a young adult impact people in some way. And this felt very synonymous with some values I had had uh, and have carried with me through life. So getting involved in the organization and meeting all the people, it really felt like the right place for me and a a great place to to be challenged. I like to be challenged. So (laughs) I think saying challenged enough just reminds people of also once you implement the principles of the one thing, how I did, I did not know what I was coming into with implementing a 411 and changing my mindset. So it's definitely been quite a learning journey for me. That's for sure. Well, what motivates you, Sarah, to get up in the morning and, and do this every day? <laughs> I think for me, it's knowing that I have some ability to impact other people's lives. You know, whether that's through an email campaign that's getting them to buy tickets for our goal-setting retreat, which is now online. You can visit theonething.com slash events to buy tickets today. Subtle plug there. That was, that was a shameless plug, if I will. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this podcast has really reminded me of you know, I I love making people laugh. I love making people smile and feel good. And this entertainer, inner creative that I have um, is really the reason that I get up in the morning and, and being able to affect people like that really makes me put on my sweatpants and walk into my home office. (laughs) (laughs) 
Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready to eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. I mean, what motivates you to get up in the morning, Chris? I've identified that what I'm most passionate about is, is helping people grow and coaching and people development and being a part of that journey. And I just love it. I love teaching. I love coaching uh, in, in this context. And I discovered that passion uh, when I was building that the business of iFly I mentioned earlier and we were we were growing that business I got to lead all the training efforts for the organization you know worldwide and I realized how how much I I coached also you know freelance coaching for skydiving and for for indoor skydiving and you know when I came to the end of that journey I I let it all go to go pursue new things and it really brought the awareness to me or for me around how important being a part of that uh, in people's lives is to me. And so that that's what gets me going. I get to do it every day. I get to run a team that does it. And we get to see the the impact we can have. And that's motivation enough to get up out of bed, walk 15 feet into my home <laughs> office. And <laughs> hey, that's what I said. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you've talked a lot about skydiving and and that's a big passion of yours. What made you even consider skydiving in the first that's first of all you're jumping out on an airplane that is insane but what got you into skydiving well i i started flying airplanes really young like I, I got my pilot's license when i was 16 fun fact went got my pilot's solo certificate before i got my driver's license which was oh, wow. which was fun so i was flying airplanes around uh, for a few months, but I wasn't allowed to drive a car, so that that was uh, that was really interesting. But I, I was always super passionate about aviation. I actually went to college for aviation, Air Force ROTC in Orlando, Florida, at the University of Central Florida. And coincidentally, just uh, about an hour north of Orlando, there's a what's called the drop zone, which is where you go skydiving, and it happens to be like the world's training center for competitive skydiving, weather and circumstances, but it's just an amazing facility. And I went up there to do a skydive one day and found out you don't have to do a tandem. You can go skydiving by yourself the first time. You just have to do a certain kind of training. It's called AFF or accelerated free fall. But I did my first jump, just totally fell in love and changed I'm sorry, courses. did you do your first jump by yourself? Well, you it's not a tandem, so you're not you know, uh, attached to someone, but instructors jump with you and hold on to you. But when it's time to pull your parachute, you pull your own parachute, you fly your own parachute. I'm sorry. I have to stop sweating once I can ask another question. Oh my (laughs) God. I can't even imagine. (laughs) 
Yeah, and it it's it's just one of those things. Like uh, maybe watching um, uh, what's the movie with Patrick Swayze, Keanu Reeves, Point Break. As a kid, I was like, skydiving looks so incredible. You know, it just felt like something that I had to do. And I I just love flying. It's a different version of flying. People think of skydiving as falling, but when you get really good, you can control your body in a way that it really is more like flying. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So. What's an example of a mistake or a failure that you've experienced in your career? And what have you learned from it to help you get to where you are today? That's such a loaded question because there are so many mistakes and failures that I could draw from. The biggest mistake I've probably made that sticks out most you know, prominently in my mind is uh, my background is in public relations and journalism. So I've worked in a myriad of different organizations, um, but a lot of those are public relations agencies where, you know, you are representing clients, you're speaking on their behalf on television stations, and you're writing press releases for them, and they entrust their brand with you. I had a client that I wrote this incredibly timely pitch for. It was at a height when um, there were some things happening in the sports world that were not so great. I won't name names, but it has to do with Penn State and go Nittany Lions. (laughs) And my client could speak to it. Uh, They were very well-versed in the advertising industry, had owned a part of a sports team, if I remember correctly. And I wrote this great pitch about why he could speak to this topic. And I sent it out to every major media publication, digital, like you name it. Everything from CNN to USA Today to God knows everything else in between. Well, I finally got an emailed response back from USA Today, and lo and behold, I hadn't taken my time in writing the pitch, and I hadn't reviewed the details, and I had spelled the name of the person at Penn State who was embroiled in this scandal. Um, I spelled his name wrong. So I looked like I didn't know what the hell I was talking about, and the writer at USA Today actually wrote me back and said, had you done this correctly and paid attention to this, I would have asked to interview your client, but now I have no interest. And I remember walking out of the office in tears because not only was I wildly embarrassed, but I knew I had totally disappointed my client. I had missed this major opportunity. And if I just would have slowed down and paid attention to those details, I would have never let that happen. It has instilled within me a meticulousness to really pay attention to details. And when I'm I'm doing things, I'm very thorough. But on top of that, it it has instilled within me like this deep desire to not disappoint my teammates, to make sure that I'm always keeping uh, the best interest of the business in mind and so that I'm never in a situation where I have to go back to somebody like that and say, hey, sorry, I you could have been on USA Today, but I totally fudged it up. <laughs> How does that experience really set you up for success? And clearly you're you're on a rocket ship. Like, how does that help you today? I mean, I'm a big believer that failure. It's what you take from failure and what you learn from failure and how you grow from it that transforms you as a person, as a professional. Um, And if you're not learning from those instances, you're truly actually making a very big mistake. And that's really what I think has been such a great 
pivotal moment for me in my career is I'm very, after that moment, I've just become very self-aware when you're dealt with these crazy hands or these mistakes or these failures of being reflective of what I need to take away from them and how do I learn and grow from them and keep moving forward. Because if I sat there and I cried about them, I would probably still be crying today. So there you go. Mm. When I think about mistakes or failures that I've experienced and what I learned from it, I think about, if I, if I think about maybe like the top five biggest mistakes that I've made, I think they all were a result of making a big decision, either consciously or subconsciously, without having a clear direction or purpose mm. and missing like the direction that that would provide and getting a dumb tax as a result. <laughs> and and so I, I think that's the bigger takeaway for me without being specific on any one of those. It's really more about they're all there's a consistent theme across them. It's it's either consciously or unconsciously making a big choice about my life without having a North Star or like a clear direction and, and a reason why I was doing it. Do you feel like there was enough repetitiveness for you to finally like stop yourself from making those decisions and say, hey, I need to create some clarity here? Or was it a trial by fire and you eventually got to a point where you were like, meh, I should probably stop doing this? <laughs> some combination you know, <laughs> of that. But uh, truly, when I'd read the one thing, it helped me recognize where I was successful in doing that without being aware that I was doing it in this way. And help me recognize when I wasn't doing it and how those that that constant kind of thread was was there in the moments when it impacted me in a negative sense. This is a really deep, vulnerable question. Oh boy. Are you willing to share your top three core values? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know what's interesting is before I became exposed to this concept of of core values, at least in the way that we see it and teach it and, and believe in it. I historically was adverse to it. I was it's like, yeah, I don't know. I'm not really, eh, I'm not one of those core values types. It's <laughs> not my thing. You know, it feels a little squishy for me or, yeah. or something. And, you know, as, as you know, to lead by example, lead from the front, um, you know, practice what we preach. Of course, I, I, I started going down the process and identifying my core values and was blown away by when you do it, how much it really shows up. And one thing that, stands out for me in that process is it's not only how it shows up, but how you notice when you're in violation of them mm. and how that impacts uh, you and, and I guess your satisfaction in life and your, your, your alignment. But my three core values are excellence, leadership, and adventure. I mean, the adventure, I can see the cross-contamination of, <laughs> of skydiving in the one thing. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What, what about you, Sarah? What are your core values and, you know, what other insights do you have about them for you personally or anything that's worth sharing? So I loved the core values exercise. I, I felt like, oh, this is the best thing I need to be able to create some clarity and focus and purpose in my life. And I've done the core values exercise three times now. And I'll be honest, I changed my core values all three times. Um, and for those listeners, that is not typical. Like you're not supposed to do it every two weeks and change your core values. But what I was realizing about myself was 
I was moving in this aspirational way and what I wanted to be versus what I was actually living my life in. And when I was that honest with myself and that reflective, that's when I really started to get into like, oh, these are my actual core values versus this is what I wish I was like or what I would like to be like. And my top core values are uh, authenticity, wholeheartedness, and humor. Mm. Um, and I think they're, they're at this point, I am not intending on changing them anytime soon. <laughs> I knew your core values, but even hearing them again, it, I totally see where it shows up for you. And it, it, it seems pretty accurate from the outside. I, I do want to go back to and just emphasize a point that you made for anyone listening is the there is the distinction between your aspirational core values and, and, the, and the core values that you embody today. And you don't need to dismiss either, but just being aware of the distinction. And it's even healthy to know both. So you, you know, we, we talk about, you need to know where you want to go, but also be aware of where you are today. That's interesting. I might go back and look at what I previously had put down and see if, you know, in a couple of years, if the evolution of my core values leads me to the place that I was hoping to go, that would be really, would be very fascinating. So you work for the one thing, productive. Yes. You're as close to these tools and principles as probably anybody. Uh, you you get to live it every day, be surrounded by it every day, build content around it, learn ways to communicate to it. All of that and all that experience, where is one area with living the one thing that you still struggle? That everything is not equal. What is the actual? Well, the, it's the number one lie uh, that stands between you and success. And yes. the lie is that everything matters equally. But what we tell ourselves or what the truth is, is that everything does not matter equally. And that is, pro I mean, I struggle in saying no. I struggle in the fear of chaos. But when it all boils down to it, I still try to follow the path like everything matters equally. And that the thing that I'm doing today and the thing that I'm doing 15 minutes from now all carry the same weight. And the fact of the matter is that they don't. Um, and that's really been a really challenging thing to work through because I'm also being in a media and marketing background. You've got people asking you for a thousand different things that are all fires to different departments or different individuals at one time who believe those things are important and should be my one thing. But this has really taught me that I need to stand up and say, no, no, this, this thing is my one thing. And this is the direction that this department needs to go in to make sure that all those fires get put out and everyone has what they need in order to be successful. Mm. What about you? I mean, Chris, you've been around the one thing for far longer than I have. You're teaching the principles to individuals and teams. I mean, you're really on a path to mastery, but is there anything that still challenges you when it comes to the principles of the one thing? For sure. And something that it's something that we we hear a lot from our customers and our community and 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 those that we teach and interface with, and it's I I have more than one thing. Like it's there's there's mm -hmm. so there's so many things, and especially when you get into you know the organization and and what we're trying to achieve, and and it's really for me, it's remembering like the essence of it. Like the yeah, of course you have more than one thing, but the 
point of it is to figure out what are the things that matter most and like continue to remind yourself that it's there is one thing that you can do today that's more important than everything else. And it's not that you're going to say no to everything else because you can't realistically say no to everything else. That's just not the reality for most people. You're not going to, including myself, you're not going to just say, here's my one thing. This is the only thing I'm going to do. But really, it's more about, for me, it's about identifying what is the most important thing I could accomplish in, in this meeting or what's the most important thing I could accomplish today and making sure that those things are in alignment with where I want to get this week and ultimately this month and this year. But it's just, it's continuing to remind myself that there's there's a lot of things competing for our attention. There's all the things we could know. There's all the things we could have. There's all the things we could do. It's the challenge of life. We can't have it all. We can't know it all. We can't do it all. It's just not possible. So how do we distill out? Like, what are those high ROI, like most important things to focus on that are in alignment with where we want to go and what we want to get to? And just the reality of like the day-to-day is that so many things come up. And how do you reprioritize and stay focused? Well, and I think that's a great reminder for the listeners that there's like this literal understanding of the one thing where you can get lost in, oh, it is just one thing. And that is so not the point of the book. And to your point, there are multiple one things or or more than one thing. Um, it's just what's going to make you successful in this moment? What's the one thing you can do right now that will make everything else easier or necessary? Yeah, and you, you called it out too. I mean, you said, you know, the lie number one, you know, everything matters equally and it's that for me too. And and just the the application and continuing to reinvent how you find that thread because it's there and you're competing against this this almost like gravity that's pulling you away, like your natural tendencies and your the your natural disposition is going to move you away from that kind of focus and that that kind of clarity. And so it's just it's just continuing to stay sharp and reorient yourself around what matters most. So we did crowdsource some questions from the One Thing membership community and and our internal team members to help uh, everyone get to know us better. And one of the great ones that I wanted to ask you, Chris, uh, is... Early in your One Thing journey, what was something you heard someone say that made one of the principles click for you? I can distill that even further to say, early in your journey, what was like your greatest aha? Well, there's definitely one thing that stands out for me, and I think it answers the question. And we were at our annual goal-setting retreat, and I was listening to... JPAP's and Jeff Woods on stage talk about what we call goal setting to the now. And they were going on a a riff about, you know, what are some purposes of a goal? And one of them mentioned that a goal allows you to identify the person that you need to become to earn the right to achieve that goal. Mm -hmm. And I was, that just hit for me. And and it's like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. it, It informs like who you need to what what it means to me is who do you need to grow into and who do you need to become? And I love the way they said, earn the right. Like you have to become this person to earn the right to achieve it. You're not going to shortcut your way there. You're not going to just do these these like mundane tasks and get to where you want to go. If you're setting a really big goal and, and it's something that, you know, really crosses into the realm of true possibility, you're going to have to make change and it informs who you would become. Hmm. 
I think mine was like, I'm never going small enough. The think big and go small seems like such a simple, easy concept. Like, okay, I I want to be on this podcast. I want to write a book. I want to do all these amazing things in my lifetime. But what is actually going small in those instances look like? And it, it really starts to show up on my 411 where I'm I'm looking at each of these both personal and professional tasks that need to be done on a day-to-day or weekly or monthly basis. And then I'm realizing, well, shit, I'm not going small enough. Like I'm still writing these tasks or these activities that are just a little bit too big and I'm still not going small enough on them. And it, it has really been maybe not a aha moment at the beginning of the journey, but a, an ongoing aha moment. Every time I have to check in with my accountability partner, it's like, oh man, here's another aha for the week. Let's do this. Do you have one example that you can recall that stands out where you didn't go small enough? Hmm. One of the biggest goals or my my one thing for the year was to buy a house. My boyfriend and I recently moved to Austin. You know, we were really interested in getting real estate here before the real estate market gets too nuts. And every week it was like I was just not missing the mark and I wasn't getting any closer to the goal. It just kept being this like ongoing check Zillow thing. Like that's all I was doing was just checking Zillow, but I wasn't doing anything past that. And at one point, it finally hit me, why are we not going to see these houses? Why am I not saying, hey, this week we're going to visit three houses? And at least at that point, there was some actual activity that was happening versus me just being lazy. I'll say I was being lazy. uh, And opening up Zillow every day and clicking the heart button on a house that I liked. I was just doing that from week to week and not getting anywhere. So finally, I we started looking at houses. We just needed to to go a little bit smaller. All right, let let's shift gears a little bit. I want to ask you some not so one thing related questions. Oh a little boy. bit more about Sarah Hendricks. Oh God. All okay. Right. So I'm going to hit you a little bit rapid fire. No, I don't here. like this. Okay. okay you ready? <laughs> yeah. So favorite movie? Uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Favorite book. The one thing by, or the one thing. (laughs) That was like a Freudian slip, right? That's what it was. Uh, No, um, The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien. Favorite meal? Lasagna. Call me Garfield. (laughs) Was that it? That was it. Okay, wait. Now it's your turn. Ready? Okay. Favorite book? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Favorite movie? Top Gun. Not because it just came out. It's definitely always been my favorite movie. Favorite meal? Ribeye steak. Oh. What would be the sides with the ribeye steak? It's a good question. Mac and cheese and probably some like fancy mushrooms or something. How do you prepare your steak? So it's somewhere between what a restaurant would define as medium rare and rare. Which is medium rare to me. But I always find if I order medium rare at a restaurant, they cook it too much. If I order rare, they don't cook it enough. Mm. So it's kind of like what you could call like rare, like rare plus, but that's not a real thing. <laughs> I think you just made it a real thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, y- you've obviously 
been a skydiver, you've been in sports. I'm assuming like you've done other sports in your lifetime. Yeah, I've played sports my whole life. So baseball for about 11 years. I uh, played football in high school, various other sports for in small, small chunks. So I would say that in a stereotypical situation, we would call you a jock, right? <laughs> I definitely would fall into that that category stereotypically. Yeah. So that being said, there's something inside of you that's different. So tell the listeners what people often get wrong about you. I think what gets missed a lot is at the core of it is I'm just a highly competitive person, but like competitive with myself and competitive mm. in what I can achieve. And I, I think that might get misinterpreted at times as anything else. But what what's at the core of it is that I'm just trying to challenge myself and and, and set a really high bar. But uh, maybe that doesn't translate as well. I mean, being competitive isn't a bad thing. Yeah, unless you're, you know, trying to just have a chill board game with your family on the holidays and, you know. I would not. <laughs> well, actually, I would love to be a fly on the wall in your household of, like, who who's playing Monopoly and who's, like, slamming the table and flipping the board game over. I don't think we'd ever get through a full round of Monopoly. we got to keep it to, like, short bursts. <laughs> <laughs> Do you consider yourself to be a risk taker? Oh, yeah. Yes. I... <laughs> Yes, yes, and yes. And the the reason I say that is because I, <laughs> something people don't know about me is I got involved in stand-up comedy. And it was totally on a whim. I was working at a PR agency. I thought I was funny. My colleague and now one of my really good friends, Kelly, was like, you should really do an, like a stand-up class or a comedy class. And she really pried me on it. And finally, I did it. And I will never forget, A, how everyone thought I was absolutely insane. Like, I would tell my family I was doing this class. They'd be like, you're going to get up in front of all these people and do five minutes of stand-up? You've never done that before. That's insane. So that was the first part of it. And the second part of it was, I'll never forget the feeling after I was up on stage. It was a packed house at the Improv in West Palm Beach. I came up. I did my first joke and it landed so well and I could see the woman standing or sitting, I should say, in front of the stage. And I watched her mouth to her friend, this girl is funny. And from then, I think I blacked out after that. And I just went through and crushed it. And from there, I went from stand-up to I did improv. I did musical improv. For those who don't know what that is, that is making things up on the fly, but also doing it in song. I got to perform musical improv in the Del Close Marathon in New York, where Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and all these big names performed. So, I mean, and that's just one example of my life. I, I've moved across the country twice uh, with no friends or family there to catch my fall when I got there. So, I, I, yes, I would absolutely consider myself a risk taker. Are you a risk taker? I mean, yeah, I, I, I think obviously based on like skydiving background and those, you'd, you'd probably draw a quick conclusion to say, yeah, it must be a risk taker. But what's interesting about it is it's very calculated risk. Mm. You know, going through to be, you know, to, to fly airplanes and to skydive, it's, it's, there's not just like, you don't just jump in the plane and fly. And for skydiving, you don't just throw on a parachute and, and jump. I mean, there's a lot that you have to learn. And it really, to be successful in either of those things, you have to tune your risk meter to a, like a really high sensitivity. And and then you you 
you make decisions like with a really high degree of sensitivity towards what that risk truly is. And you make conscious decisions about that risk. And there's, I've found that there's like a lot of benefit that's come from that and where I make decisions in other areas of my life and being able to like really truly weigh like what is the risk in this situation and is it is it worth doing? Uh, where otherwise I, I think I would have been more haphazard uh, in, in making a decision, you can really like weigh the pros and cons. So uh, yes, I would say for sure I'm a risk taker, but I don't do it like blundering my way through. I, I try to do it with a high degree of sensitivity towards like what is the risk and the reward in that circumstance. Mm, that is very calculated risk. Mm. Okay, no thinking. Are you a cat person or dog person? Dog person by nature, but I don't have the space in my life to have a dog right now. And I, so we, I have a cat. She's awesome. Hmm. I'm a dog person and I have a corgi puppy named Winston, AKA Winston Wigglebottoms. You're free to follow him on Instagram. It's at Winston Wigglebottoms. He is a celebrity in our neighborhood and that is me bragging about my dog. That's awesome. I, lo- I love the the leading question there. <laughs> yeah, that was really so I could answer my own question. Last question as we wrap this up, and this came directly from the community. Are you doing a 66-day challenge right now? I am. I actually just started a new 66-day oh, challenge. And I have the really fortunate opportunity to work with uh, some members of our military in the Special Forces Operation Command Unit. And they've invited me to go do um, a workshop with them here in the not-too-distant future. And it's going to require participating in some PT with some Navy SEALs. So I am going to get myself in shape to be able to keep up. And so I'm, I'm, I'm running a certain amount every day for the <laughs> next 66 days. Oh my gosh, that's, well, that's awesome. And what a great like reason to have to build a habit. For sure. What about you? What's what's uh your current 66-day challenge? So I'm I will be totally honest, I am currently not in a 66-day challenge. I'm trying to think of what my next one will be. I have a feeling it's probably going to be something around the podcast and you know, trying to hone in my dictation skills, my tone, trying to smile with my voice and not you know, my actual smile. So we'll see how it goes. But Sarah, I know I'm really excited about this opportunity to be a part of the podcast. I know you are as well. Oh, yeah. I, I hope this was an opportunity for the you, the listener, to get to know us a little bit better and, you know, we can earn the right to continue to have you around and share this experience. Yeah, we're so excited and we'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>